0: Well, I got my mind blown this week with the timing of um, this Bible study. Um, I thought it was gonna go in one direction. The Lord gave me the study and the title of the study, To Obey or Not to Obey. And it was, sort of had the slant of what's being mandated um, by our administration right now, especially when it comes to... um, Maybe leading to the mandating of being forced to take this vaccine. And uh, so my thinking is to obey or not to obey. What do we do? Well, that was earlier. <laughs> that was earlier this week. And um, we're going to do a short review of chapter three. I'm going to take you back to show you the mount again. Um, but the Bible study, because of what happened on Thursday the very next day, changed the Bible study completely. So, this is when I say I do not believe in coincidences, I don't believe in coincidences. So, um, what happened on Thursday, February 25th, is an act that went through the house called the Equality Act. And that was passed in the house, not the Senate, but it was passed in the house the very next day. And um, for those of you not familiar with what that is, I'll I'll be explaining it a little bit later. But I have no doubt that the timing of this And um, the implications of this is going to have a lot to do of who we obey and who we don't obey. The title stays the same. The main focus of the study has changed quite a bit. and Maybe we'll come back and talk about. um, I'm hoping you're doing your own research on uh, uh, this vaccine. Uh, Just do it on your own. So let's dive right in, read where. Paul read for us earlier in Acts chapter four, verse 17 through 22. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let several threaten them that from now on they speak no more in the name of, of this man. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John, answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you or more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because all the people... um, finding no way of finding punishment because all the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had performed. So we jump into something. We don't know what the miracle is. We know that he's a man. We know that he's 40 years old. So this morning, what we did on Wednesday is we went verse by verse through chapter three and chapter four of Acts. I want to go back to chapter 3 so that this makes sense to you. I'm going to skim. It won't be read verse by verse, but I do want to break it up so that you understand why they're being threatened here. Um, this morning we'll be looking at the ultimatum given to Peter and John for preaching in the name of Jesus. But first, here's just a little background. Go back to Acts chapter three, verses one through eleven, and I wanna I do want to read the first two verses. Now, when Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, there was a certain man lame from his mother's womb. Let's just stop and let that settle in. We know that he's forty years old. When he came out of his mother's womb he he couldn't walk, so he's never walked his entire life. And um, we find that they carried him daily uh, to the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of those who entered the temple. So what I'd like to do at this time is I'm going to take you to Israel and show you the, uh, a spot that we visit every time we're there. That's, that's the... Um, First of all, these stairs right here, see if I keep my hands steady, right here. You see these two gates right here, and these two gates right here? Okay, those are the gates, beautiful. It had a way in and a way out. If you visit there today, um, they have built a structure next to uh, Robinson's Arch right here that goes all the way over and comes right up to there, so it's a little bit different. Um, let me show you a picture that I took uh, from a different angle. This is actually um, the very stairs. The reason we go there is I like to take people to what I call an A site. An A site is we can give a Bible study here and say this is the very place that they laid the man who was lame that Peter and John would walk by. And they would do it on a daily basis. So everybody do this guy. But this is an A spot. Those steps are original. Jesus would come in and out of that place, and that would lead into the temple. Everybody with me so far? Okay, so that's, um, I'm gonna show you one more slide, but I wanna read just a little bit more. And... Um, Peter and John walk by and, of course, he's got his, he's got his hands out. And um, Peter and John looked at him and he says, look at us. Now, when he said that, I'm sure he perked up a little bit. He thought, I'm going to get something here. And what um, uh, Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and strengthened his feet. Ankle bones received strength. And so he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Just let that rest for a bit. Never walked in your life. And all of a sudden, you're leaping. And um, in his mind, he doesn't get in the name of Jesus Christ quite yet. So he's attributing this miraculous healing to Peter and John. So Peter's gonna correct that very shortly. And When when the people saw it walking and praising God, uh, then they knew that it was he who sat by the beautiful gate of the temple and were filled with wonder, and amazement at what had happened. Now as a lame man who was healed, held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch. Okay, we are no longer on the the stairs. But now we're on the inside of the temple and I'm going to take you inside the temple and show you Solomon's porch. And it would be, this would be the gates, the two gates would be there and there. And this corner right here is called Solomon's porch. And people had gathered together, here this layman is um, clutching on to Peter and John, and now he has to correct them, and so if you turn to verses 12 through uh, 26 here, what we have is when Peter saw what was going on, he said, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this, or why do you look so intently at us, as though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk. We didn't have nothing to do with this. And they wanted to worship (laughs) Peter and John. And um, he let them know in no uncertain terms that it was the Lord, it was in Jesus' name. He goes on and gives what we call here uh, Peter's second sermon, and uh, he begins to witness to the crowd that has now gathered. He's gonna take advantage of this. So he begins by saying, uh, you denied the Holy One, in verse 14, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. This is in reference when he stood before Pontius Pilate. Four times Pontius Pilate examined him, and each time he came out and says, I can't find anything wrong with him. His wife comes down, And to Pilate and says, don't have anything to do with this righteous man. I had a dream about him last night. Hands off. But the people insisted. Well, they had a custom. It was Passover. And he said, every year we allow one of your prisoners to go free. Who do you want? And it was the religious leaders who incited the crowd saying, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Well, then what should we do with This Jesus. And the hierarchy again said, crucify him, crucify him. So against Pilate's will, he's trying to get the Lord off the hook, so to speak here. But nonetheless, he goes on to tell them in verse 17, yet now, brethren, I know you did this in ignorance as did your rulers. They had no idea who they they were dealing with. They had no idea he was the son of God. That is why Jesus prayed from the cross, Father, forgive them. They just don't know what they're doing. And did the Lord want to go to the cross? No, no. He says, Father, for any other way, if there's any other way that man can be forgiven of their sins and redeemed and spend eternity with us instead of eternal damnation, then that's what I vote for but there was no other way. And then he said this, nevertheless, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Can you camp on that thought for a moment this morning? Because this this is gonna be one of those um, um, straight on, straightforward Bible studies. And there's gonna be some things I say that are gonna be very politically incorrect, number one. And um, if you allow your emotions to get in the way rather than this book, there's going to be conflict, which I fully expect. And so be forewarned ahead of time. This is not one of those happy, clappy Bible studies. So what has happened and what I want to point out every time we go through so far in the book of Acts and almost every page, um, you cannot avoid Bible Prophecy. And such is the case again here in chapters 3 and 4. For we find on Peter's second uh, um, testimony, he said, I know you guys did it and you didn't know what you were doing. Nonetheless, if you go to 18, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, all right, now he's going back to the Old Testament, that the Christ would suffer. Well, where's that? Well, that's Isaiah 53. It said, it pleased the father to bruise the son. And um, it gets very graphic about um, his torment. And so that was a prophecy from Isaiah. Here it is in verse 18. It has thus fulfilled. And then he tells them what they need to do. Repent. Repent. Therefore, be converted of your sins, that they may be blotted out, so that the time of the refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ who preached to you before. And then he goes on and quotes in verse 22, he goes back to Moses. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brethren whom you will hear in all things whatever he says. That's a prophecy. And it's being fulfilled um, through Jesus Christ. And it will come to pass that every soul who will not hear the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, all the prophets from Samuel to those who follow as many as have spoken have also, notice, foretold. What What are we looking at here? We're looking at Bible prophecy being fulfilled. And um, as we're not going to get to this one, but let me point it out in, in verse four because on Wednesday we did this verse by verse. Go to verse, uh, in chapter four, verse 25 and 26. Who by the mouth of your servant David had said, and this, now he quotes Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Now on Wednesday, I pointed out that this was a double prophecy, clearly being fulfilled here. But if you, we went back to Psalm 2 and read the whole thing and it has to do more with the battle of Armageddon than what's happening here. So we've talked often about double prophecies. Here's just an example of uh, another one. And there's at least three if not four Old Testament, Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled here. That brings us to our text this morning. And let's read now the reaction by the religious leadership. And I'm just going to read verse um, one and two for right now. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captains of the temple, and I have underlined here the Sanhedrins, and I'll come back and talk to, about them, came upon them. So the miracle's been, um, been done, and... Um, Peter has set them straight that they had nothing to do with it. It was Jesus who has risen from the dead. And being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now let me explain why this is a hot issue. When you read the word Sadducees here, the religious hierarchy amongst the Jewish people, is basically is broken down into two groups. You would have the Pharisees. Now, Paul was a Pharisee, and he was called Saul before he became Paul. Now, a Pharisee would believe in angels. They would believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees were completely different. That was, they were more of the liberal type. And the Sadducees, the one thing they did not believe in were angels, but especially the resurrection. This incited them because they're preaching Jesus being resurrected. And if you were <laughs> a Sadducee, that would get your goat. And that is why um, they're so bent out of shape over this whole thing. Um, let's continue on with verses um, three through oh, no I want to make the point with three and four how many people uh, got saved however and they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening so it's late in the evening when this is happening so they throw them in jail overnight however many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000 3,000 were already saved. And after this incident with this man that everybody knew, they had no doubt who this guy was, but now he's walking. And a notable miracle had been done. And as a result, that word spread quickly. And it came to pass on the next days, so now it's morning that the rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they said, by what power by what name has this been done? So now they got Peter and John encircled. They have all the religious leaders questioning him, how did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done, can I just stop and have you guys think about that a little bit? I mean, what did they do wrong that they're so upset about? Here is a man that has never walked his entire life. Don't you think they would be overjoyed and happy for the family and happy for him? That would be the natural reaction. That is not the reaction. They're incensed. Why? Because of their doctrine of not believing in the resurrection. They care less about the guy. They're more upset about um, their doctrine that they had. By what means did he make it known? Well, Peter says, thank you very much. I'll take the opportunity and tell you. Let it be known to you and all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Boy, that got him again. By him, this man stands whole before you today. And then he quotes another prophecy. The stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. This is Psalm 118. It is quoted again in the parable of the vineyard where the Lord gives a whole parable about these religious leaders. And um, we went there, and if if you want more information on that, the, the parable of the vineyard is the Lord going right after him. He said, look, we sent you prophet after prophet after prophet. You stoned them, you killed them. They say Isaiah was sawn in two. They threw Jeremiah into a pit they didn't want to hear a word the prophet had to say. And they finally said, well, now the owner of the vineyard is sending his own dear son. Let's get him. And uh, uh, per- perhaps uh, they'll listen to him. That's what the father said. I'll send my son. Maybe, maybe they'll listen to him. And um, they knew he wouldn't. So Jesus says to these religious leaders, the stone which the builders, the religious leaders, rejected, Jesus, has become the chief cornerstone of the church. Do you guys know that you're living stones? <laughs> and the Lord is building a spiritual, a spiritual temple, his home, and that's what he refers to us as. So that brings us... Um, they, Now that they had this answer, what they do is they have this little huddle, the rest of down to verse to our text. They gather together, and um, I like verse 13 a lot. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were, notice, uneducated and untrained men. These guys are fishermen from Galilee. In men's prayer yesterday, we got sidetracked a little bit talking about um, Peter and John being untrained and uneducated, but they marveled and they realized that he they were with Jesus. Uh, the Galileans not only had an accent, but they also had an attitude. Remember, people saying, "Can anything good come out of Galilee?" I mean, it had a reputation. <laughs> and so they are marvelled that they're untrained uneducated and yet they were used by god to heal this man who has not never walked his entire life so in their title uh, in their huddle they're sort of saying what can we do verse 14 and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them they could say nothing against it but when they had commanded them to go outside of the council they confirmed among themselves saying What shall we do with these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them, it's evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. We can't deny it. And that brings us to our text. And now, what we read for our text will make a whole lot more sense. Amen? So here we go. So, that it spread no farther to the people Let's severely threaten them. From now on, they can speak no more in the name of this man. And they called and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God? Well, you guys judge. For we cannot help but speak the things which we have seen and the things which we have heard. And so, as we come to uh, chapter uh, four with the scribes and the Pharisees, um, Peter now begins to um, preach to them. Peter and John had made a choice to obey God rather than man. What did man say? You guys can't speak anymore about Jesus Christ and the gospel and the resurrection. You can't do it. And they basically throw it right back at him and said, well, what do you think? Should we obey God? Or should we obey man's laws? Because the Lord had given them, turn back to Ch- Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And this was the word of God to the disciples. He says, You're going to receive power, verse 8, when, you, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. That's what's happening here. And in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Those were marching orders. What is the last thing it says in Matthew chapter 28? We call it the great suggestion. (laughs) No, 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 no. The great commission, the great commandment. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. That's the word of God. And that's what they were told to do. Now they're told they can't do it. Who are they going to listen to? Well, it was a no-brainer for Peter and John. They just said, You guys, you guys are going to figure it out on your own. We have to obey God because He gave us the Great Commission. I would like to tie this command right here you can't do what we're doing this morning along with another command that I think is on our horizon in the Christian church in America. And I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. On the horizon, it's already happening. What am I talking about? Um, In Hebrews chapter 10, this is the Word of God. And in verse 23 through 25, it tells us let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. What does the word of God instruct Christians to do? Fellowship, get together, mingle one with another. Now, because of... Um, Uh, the pandemic across our country, um, we have a a variety of different opinions about church. Um, Some churches are responding in different ways about meeting or not meeting, depending upon what state they live in. Some laws are stricter than others. California probably being the strictest along along with Maine and, and Michigan. Some churches have closed altogether. And uh, some meet with strict guidelines uh, or you must register. Mandatory face masks and you must practice social distancing. In some places you can only have 50 people in church and um, only one worship leader. And it varies. Uh, All of them are at different places with this. And I want to explain the reason. Now, here at Calv- Calvary Chapel of Appleton, we leave that decision up to you. If you want to wear a mask, by all means, wear one. If you don't feel comfortable in a large group, um, then you can stay home and live stream. Um, one thing we c- can't do is we can't practice social distancing (laughs) I mean look around (laughs) so I want to take you to a scripture that um, some churches have latched on to and they're listening to man rather than God and they get it from Romans they get it from two places one of them is in Romans chapter 13 so let's go there Romans 13, it says, let every, uh, 13 verses one and two. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there's no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinances of God and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves so some think this will um, be actually well before I get, get to that uh, my, my response to that to what we just read here and many churches um, are doing exactly what the government is telling them to do it in this place and my response to that is I'll go back and read it for yourself because this is where Calvary Chapel of Appleton stands and that is whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. The government is mandating and telling us what we can and can't do as far as our meeting and there's many churches that are quoting that scripture and they say we that's in the Bible, and we should be obeying it. Well, I think this one trumps it. Pardon the pun. <laughs> I believe the mandate that God has given to us, you guys have free will. And like I said, if you, if you want to wear a mask, wear one. I don't see one in a the crowd. There are a lot of people here. But that's your choice. You can if you want to. Or if you don't feel comfortable with um, large crowds, Live stream, no problem but it's your choice, but as far as being my house um, um, we're going with what Peter here said, and that's why I've entitled this to obey or not to obey it's a question it's a free will decision that each one of you make i don't make it for you I will tell tell you my opinion and my stand on it, Um, there's some people that actually think that pretty soon everything's going to be back to to normal. Let me just tell you something, just the opposite, just the opposite is true. Remember when I told you I had my mind blown because of the way this Bible study got changed? It was changed in two days, because on Wednesday, I knew where I was headed in my Bible study. And then what happened on Thursday, February 25th, just a couple of days ago, four, four days ago now, uh, the Equality Act uh, is being debated as I speak right now. It has already passed the House. Some of you may be asking, what is the Equality Act and what does it have to do with our Bible study? The background, what is the Equality Act? The Equality Act is a bill in the U.S. Congress that if passed, it's already passed the House, would amend the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity in employment, housing, public accommodations, public education, federal funding, credit, and the jury system. It was passed this last Thursday. I don't find that a coincidence, because I had my title for my Bible study before I knew about this. And uh, the implications was passed this last Tuesday, the 25th. Biden, I can't call him President Biden, I'm afraid, said passing the Equality Act would be his priority in his first 100 days in auspice. It still has to pass the Senate. Um, Whether it does or doesn't, the implications, as I Googled, Implications of Equality Act for the church in particular and it's all over the board. From closing a church that would um, quote all of the Bible including Romans 1 and including, and we'll get there in a, later, and other areas that um, uh, speak about Sins and primarily um, um, this the sins of um, the gay community and that 's primarily what we have in view. It will be called hate speech, and i've read articles as extreme that if you do uh, speak against it, uh, we will close you down. And there are pastors who are in jail right now. Um, some in California, one in Canada, one in Europe. Others have been fined. And um, so the question, how should we respond when we get, after we get done with Acts, guess where we're going to be? Romans chapter one. And we'll, I'm gonna take you there later, but not right now. But the question remains in light of that what are we going to do? Remember I told you this is going to be sort of a man's up Bible study and um, um, if we go by what the word of God says it may go against what you personally feel like the Sadducees. We have strong convictions on what we believe. That's one thing. But what the word of God has to say about an issue that's another thing. Question is where are you going to stand on it, and I'm afraid there's a lot of churches that are that are buckling, and um, because uh, they'll lose their tax credits or or whatever, or they'll be afraid of what people may think of them. Um, so let me give you a couple Old Testament examples of this. Let's go to the book of Daniel chapter three. I'll just give you two. Old Testament, both in the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel 3, verses 1 through 18. Of course, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were taken to Babylon. And in chapter three, chapter two is Daniel giving King Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of his dream, which was this metallic image of gold and silver, bronze, iron and clay, and so on and so forth. And um, Daniel, none of the other um, soothsayers um, could interpret it, but Daniel could. And as a result of that, Daniel was promoted to number two man in the most powerful position in the entire world. And he was promoted. But then Nebuchadnezzar slept on it, and he thought to himself, what do you mean somebody's gonna overtake my place? Which would have been to meet a Persian empire. So when we get to chapter three, in defiance to God, he makes an image, but this one is all of gold. And he calls, he's over 120 provinces, and he calls all the world together for a special commemoration of him being the God of this world. And um, if you don't, uh, and if you refuse, um, you will be thrown into a fire and you will perish. So we find that the image is put up. We read um, verse three, so the administrators, the governors, counselors, the treasurers, the judges, magistrates, all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And a a herald cried aloud, To you and all commanded, O peoples, nations, and language, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, you fall down, and you worship the golden image. And King Nebuchadnezzar has set up, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. So, at the time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyres, and all symphony, all kinds of music, all the peoples and nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Well, you know what's coming, right? Everybody is falling down and worshiping. What are the consequences if you don't? you die. What does that make you think of? Another image that's gonna be made, Revelation 13. And if you don't fall down and worship it, you will die. This is an Old Testament picture of a New Testament teaching. Except the problem here is, if everybody's bowing down, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know they don't, don't you think they're gonna sorta stick out like sore thumbs? I mean, everybody's prostrated across the ground. And, and here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> and there were certain Chaldeans who saw this. They were so mad that they went and told the king that verse 12, there are certain Jews who you've said over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have not paid regard to you They do not serve your God or worship the golden image which you have set before him. And then um, Nebuchadnezzar is so infuriated uh, by this. First of all, let's ask the question, just go along with it. Why make a big deal out of it? I mean, your lives are on the line here. Why? Turn with me to Exodus chapter twenty. We'll just read the first couple of verses. Exodus 20, verse one, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath, or that it is in the water below. Notice verse five, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. What do you think is going through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's mind when they see this image and they're told to bow down to it? Don't you think Exodus 20 comes to their mind? Now question, is it better to obey God or to obey the king? What what would they do? Their answer was no, we're gonna obey God. And we're going we're, we're to disobey the king's order, which infuriated him. But he kind of liked them at the same time. And he says, you know what, guys? I'm going to give you guys a second chance in the next couple of verses here. And um, if, if you guys go along with it and uh, you fall down, good. That's what he says in verse 15. But if you don't, I'm going to throw guys immediately into the fiery furnace. I love their response in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, "Oh Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> we have no need to answer you in this matter. This is a no-brainer for us. If this is the case, our God, whom we serve, he's able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. That was their confidence. But what they say next, I like even better. Because it says, "But Eve, but if not, let's say he doesn't save us. Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we, we worship the golden image which you have set up. And it says, if he saves us, great. If he doesn't, that's still great, yeah. <laughs> well, what happens, they heated it up seven times, and I think that's significant number. They heated it up seven times more. I, I believe there's a connection there with the seven-year tribulation that uh, the Jews go through, and many of them are supernaturally protected. Remember, some of them are sealed. And so I think it's a picture of that. And the guys that threw them into the fiery furnace, they all died. Okay? They were bound when they went in. Okay? Three of them. And the guys that threw them in, they all died. And um, somebody goes and tells the king, he says, there's guys walking around in there. And so the king comes and he looks, and he sees four men, not bound. In other words, the only thing that was burned were the things that bound them. My friends, there's a whole Bible study in that one. When you go through a fire, the reason for fiery furnace is to refine you, we are told, as fire refines gold. So the next time you're going through a, a fiery trial, a real burner, The thing that the Lord is really doing is just refining you as gold is refined. The only thing that really is burnt off are the things that bind you. And believe me, I could get really sidetracked here. You know I could, right? (laughs) (laughs) But just just think about it. This is personal now. Trials are for a reason. Sometimes he will deliver you. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, And he says, hey, you guys, come on out of here. So they did, they came out. And by the way, the fourth one says, look like the son of God. You know why? Because it was the son of God. (laughs) Jesus will never leave you or forsake you, no matter what kind of trial you may be going through, all the craziness that's going on in the world right now. I'll never leave you, forsake you, no no matter what's happening. So my point, in this story here, is that we have a command from the most powerful man in the world. And the question is, to obey or not to obey? They did not obey, why? Because they had a higher authority, the word of God. Can't do it, the word of God says this, therefore no matter, you may think you're powerful, but you're not, so we have to do what the Lord tells us to do. Turn to page of chapter 6, and uh, the second illustration that I'll use, um, Daniel is not written in a chronological order. The king of this time is Darius the Mede. If you read the last verse of chapter 5, it says, That very night Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being 62 years old. I think that's somebody's birthday today. Uh Uh-oh, am I in trouble? (laughs) Okay. I just stumbled across it. It's not my notes. No, it's not. It's not there. Hope you're not watching live stream. (laughs) But as we begin chapter six, it's not in a chronological order because the Babylon. Babylonian empire has fallen, one night. But then when you get to chapter seven, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, we're back in a different administration. What's your point, Dwight? Simply not in a chronological order. Simple as that. Okay, now, Daniel, again, is promoted along with other governors um, but it says in verse three that Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave him thought to setting him over the whole realm here's the king, this guy's really sharp, I mean he's really sharp, the spirit of God is in him, and maybe he's talking about it with the other guys, and he's thinking about. Putting Daniel over all of them, which creates a jealousy in the rest of them. And so, what we have is um, these men who are jealous because they don't want Daniel to be their boss. They get together and said, How can we find some fault with Daniel? What can we come up with? And they couldn't think of anything unless it would be concerning his religion. He only worships his God and only prays to his God. So how about if we come up with a decree? Now, I need to explain the difference between the authority of King Nebuchadnezzar, who had complete, dictatorial, absolute power. I like to say if it was Bundy and he said it was Tuesday, guess what? It's Tuesday. Different with the Medes and the Persians. The Medes and the Persians, the king could make a decree, um, but he couldn't change it. And the power structure diminished just as silver is diminished from gold. So Darius can make a decree, but he can't change it even if he wants to. So what do they do? They come up and they said, we got this great idea, King Darius. Let's make a decree that no man can worship anything. Pray to anyone other than you. And I can just see Darius going, hmm, that sounds like a pretty good idea to me. And getting probably pretty big-headed over it, he says, let's do it. And um, so, verse 8, the king establishes the decree, signs the writing, so that it cannot be changed and according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Catch it? Once it's been signed, no more changing. Therefore, King Darius signed the, the written decree. He, he didn't know he was getting, getting set up. It was a big setup for Daniel. But I like verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, oh, he, he had heard about it, but he wanted to make sure it was signed. He went home, went up to his upper room with his window open. He didn't go to a prayer closet. He opened his window. Toward Jerusalem, knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God and it was his custom since early days. Towards Jerusalem, whenever we go to Israel, We um, fly, of course, it's an overnight flight. So first thing in the morning, you'll have the Orthodox Jews and they're figuring out which way is east, which way is Jerusalem. And you see them and they're praying and then they'll do it again in the evening. And that's their custom. And uh, now they're telling Daniel he can't have his custom and this is, this is traditional Judaism. And if you're not in Jerusalem, then you face Jerusalem, and that's exactly what he does here. Well, his window's wide open. Everybody sees it. These guys go running back to the king, and they say, you know that Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, verse 13? He doesn't show regard to you, O oh king, for the decree that you have signed, uh, but made petitions three times a day Notice the attitude of the king. Then the king, when he heard these things, was greatly displeased with himself because he figured, oh, I've been set up. You guys set me up. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going dawn of the sun to deliver him. Couldn't do it. Verse 15, the man approached the king and said to him, king, this is the law, of the Medes and the Persians, that no decree or statue which the king established may be changed. He was doing everything in his power to get Daniel released. He couldn't do it. Consequences? He gets thrown into um, the lion's den. And it was a long night for the king. It says in verse 18... The king spent the night fasting with no music that was brought before him. Also his sleep went from him and he rose early in the morning and he ran to where Daniel was. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. Uh, The king spoke, saying, Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you have served continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And I'm just imagining trying to put myself in his shoes here, the pause. Will there be a response? And then Daniel said to the king, oh king, live forever. And I'm sure the king just jumped out of his shoes just for joy. My my God sent his angel, shut the lion's mouth so they would not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. O king, I've done no wrong before you. And the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den and no injury, whatever was found on him because he believed in God. But just so that you don't think that these are tame pussycats, we read that he went for the guys that made this command up and he brought them and cast them down into the den their children, their wives, and the lions overpowered them and broke their bones in pieces before they even hit the bottom of the floor. So what we have here, and my reason for the lengthy um, uh, parallel to our study this morning, is that Daniel was given a command. He disobeyed the king And he obeyed God. And uh, he had that choice to make. And in disobeying, the Lord honors him. So, the Equality Act, which will probably be passed, will put churches around the country with a decision to make. uh, To obey God or to obey man. And believe me, it's coming. It's not going back to normal. And the biggest enemy to communism is Christianity. And it's gonna come in different forms how churches are going to uh, respond to the mandates that are surely coming down our way, Uh, including especially this vaccine. And please, again, do, do your homework around that. And they'll have to make it a choice to obey God or obey man. My attitude, as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. Amen. then in the course. It won't change anything. Will there be repercussions? Maybe. But let, let me leave you... Not so much with that. But what this is really about, this um, Equality Act, my friends, it is so late because the world is becoming so perverted. Um, The GLBT will mark any church that teaches Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6, and they're gonna label it hate speech. And with that... Let's just turn to Romans chapter one. We'll give them a heads up. Romans one and first Corinthians six are different and I'll explain why. In Romans chapter one, it actually says that he wrestled with them, although they knew God, they did not glorify him uh, and they worshiped other things Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness. Now, that's got to be one of the scariest verses in the Bible. When God says, I give up on you. And that's what he's saying here. Um, in the lust of their hearts to decide another body among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen, For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, even their women exchanging the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing things which are shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even though they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. This is going to be titled Hate Speech. Um, The Equality Act is primarily focused towards your kids in school, what there can be taught, and there'll be restrictions on what can and can't be taught in church. First Corinthians chapter six is different than Romans chapter one, in this sense, go to verse 9 of uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Can I put that in plain words? Who's not righteous? Well, somebody who's not been saved. Amen? I mean, when you're saved, you're born again and you're righteous. And if you're not saved, then you're you're uh, unrighteous, do not be deceived. Here is the words you need to underline because much of our country today is very deceived. Do not be deceived, neither fornicator, nor idolater, nor adulteress, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will enter the kingdom of heaven. What I want to say here at this point is this will be labeled hate speech. Now I want you to listen to me real carefully as we finish things uh, things up this morning. The most loving thing that you can ever do for someone that you know that is caught up in the alternative lifestyle. Not only that but all the all the other things that are here, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, these are all just plain sins. Uh, they're not naming one above the other. But I want to point out the next verse here where uh, the main reason that a lot of people say they are the way they are, well, I was born that way. Nothing I can do about it. Well, verse 11 says just the opposite. It says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. That one little verse completely ends the argument that I was born this way. It's saying you were that way, but now you're washed. And you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. My wife was shopping yesterday. As she was going into the ladies' room, a guy was coming out. Why, surprise, it's happening. And it's only going to continue to happen. And um, um, so the difference between 1 Corinthians 6 is it says that the opportunity to repent is there, and as a result, you'll be cleansed, period, no matter, no matter what the sin is. And it is not hate speech. The most loving thing. Bear with me with the implications where this leads to. What if you just say, "That's cool. You, you could live that lifestyle and still be involved with the Christian church"? No, you, you just you're condemning a person to hell. What's the most loving thing you can tell them? Implore them. Um, it says later on in James, saving some through fear, uh, saving them from the fire. Say, please understand that this is true. You can obey God or you can obey man. Now, some of the things that I've said this morning, people might have feelings that don't go along with the Bible study that was given this morning. Here's my challenge to you. What are you gonna, um, I heard somebody put it this way. Um, Would you play Russian roulette with one of your kids? Take one bullet, put a chamber in it, Well, chances are he won't, but we wouldn't even think about doing something like that. What about when it comes to eternal life? Is it hate speech that you tell people the truth? Please do not do this. Remember the rich man who went to hell? Realized he had no, he was locked in there forever? Who did he start to think about? Oh, i got five brothers. please, please, please. Send Lazarus and have him witness to my brothers lest they come to this place of torment. I told you this wasn't gonna be a happy, clappy Bible study. But let's sort of kind of leave it on a positive note. Sort of, kind of? (laughs) Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, verse 35. Gang, we can't hold back. I know it's tough, it's a hard conversation to have with people, but you can't hold back. So we read in verse 35 of chapter 10, therefore do not cast away your confidence, which is great reward. My question to you is, where does your confidence lie? My confidence certainly doesn't lie in me. (laughs) It does lie in this. It lies in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he changes not. And his word will come to pass exactly as it says. So don't hold back. Yeah, but they been not like being, um, how many little friends? Yep, probably will. Then it goes on to say, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, You may receive the promise. For yet a little while, how late is it? And he who is coming will come, and he will not tarry. Now the just will live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition. My friends, Don't get tempted to go back to the old ways as things get tougher. Don't compromise when more mandates are put upon us. Um, We're either going to obey this book or we're going to obey man. And that test is, those tests are coming. But we are not those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe in the saving of souls. Good place to say an amen. And close it up. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, all Bible studies are not easy easy Bible studies to give. But Lord, I can't help but seeing um, your hand, and in no way do I believe the timing of this Bible study with the, the Equality Act being passed just this last Thursday and the timing of all this and where it's all headed. Lord, help us be like Peter and John and stand up and say we know what you're trying to say to us as leaders, but you judge. Should we obey you or should we obey God? Lord, help, help us not let our human emotions ever uh, come in conflict if your word is clear on an issue. And please give us boldness. We pray for boldness. And also give us uh, tactfulness and to be able to explain and speaking the truth in love, not in animosity or being untactful, but being wise and actually showing the love of Christ that we truly are concerned. And uh, we just thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.